Welcome to Conscious Matters. It's a safe space where we chat about how living consciously matters to our well-being, to the one of our surroundings and loved ones, as well as to the earth and humanity as a whole. Join me, Melissa DeBerry, for inspiring interviews with some of the most beautiful souls out there, individuals who are helping others to reach their highest selves and who bring light into this world. In every episode, we talk about conscious matters such as self-love, awareness, personal development, the power of yoga and meditation, self-medicine, the rise of holistic practices, and much more. We expand on our experiences, share tools that help live in peace, harmony, and alignment on a daily basis, and discuss about what we've learned along our healing journey. Get your mind, body, and soul ready for a ride in consciousness. Namaste, listeners. In this world, there's a lot of miscommunication. Words matter. They're important and powerful. They can transform your life and open you up to new things and opportunities. Like we discussed in the last episode, it's crucial to choose your words wisely when you talk about yourself and to yourself. But what about the words you use with others, your family, your friends, your partner, your coworkers, business partners, and children? We were taught how to read and write. Nonetheless, it seems like we have not learned the basics of clear and effective communication that kindly expresses not only our thoughts, but also the meaning and intention behind those used words. Communicating consciously means being intentional, empathic, and non-judgmental in how we express ourselves in any particular social context so that we nurture our connection and bonds with ourselves and others through the way we interact. It will mutually enrich the relationships in your life and undoubtedly make you a more effective communicator. Speaking with intention to make the situation better instead of just having your way. Actively listening to others by being fully present, not listening while checking your phone or thinking about what you're going to say next. Clearly communicating what you want and need in this life is inherently part of your emotional well-being. And that's what we do at Conscious Matters. We try to improve our well-being, improve our consciousness and awareness every single day. As I always say, it's by individually improving ourselves that we'll improve the collective by adding up our own individual experiences. In my own opinion, I think we talk too much. Even more with social media, where everybody has an opinion or story to share on literally everything. But um, how often do we think about the why? Why are we about to say something? Are you communicating to express an idea, a feeling? to relay an important information, to express a thought or an emotion, to share a meaningful experience? Like, why are you doing that? Is it like to deepen your connection, to solve a problem? Are you speaking with integrity, honesty, and respect? Do you care about the impact of the words and how your words will be received? Because at the end of the day, the whole ordeal about consciousness is to be aware, present, and intentional in everything we are and do. It's most probably impossible to perfect it, to make it like top-notch every single day, every single second, but we can all make tweaks in how we go about things to get closer to the goal. It's also why I love sharing these consciousness nuggets through Conscious Matters podcast, just to improve every single day on different facets of consciousness in our lives. 
in today's episode, we'll try to uncover, that's a big task, but uh, but we'll try uh, to move from unconscious communication to conscious communication. Unconscious communication most of the time lead to conflict and misunderstandings. And it's during these miscommunications moments that our unhealthy patterns of communicating are more likely to stand out. Usually healthy communication and conscious communication is less intuitive and more subtle, intentional, conscious to provide information to someone else. It can be verbal and nonverbal, body language, facial expressions, and all versus speech and tone of voice. But let's go back for a minute to unconscious communication. Unconscious communication is when most of the time from what I understand from it, is when we're being reactive, coming from a hurt place or egoistical place. Don't get me wrong. The ego is not all that bad. It's actually here to protect us from danger and threat. The issue is that as humans, our primitive brain was wired in a time where everything was a danger and a threat, from getting food to find shelter to keeping your loved ones and your own self safe. The core wiring of our brain did not change. Our instinct is to think that most things are inherently bad and harmful in some ways. And that's where our ego intervenes. We are not all created equal when it comes to communication. We are all gifted differently, but one thing that's for sure is that communicating consciously is a learnable skill, especially in a world where there's such a lack of communication leading to injustice, at a large scale, and unnecessary arguments and separations at a smaller scale. Of course, our childhood, past experiences influence the way we interact with the world. But did you know how much? I just give you a clue. It's a lot. I recently learned about attachment style theory through a workshop led by Tareen Newton-Gill, women empowerment coach, founder of True Love, the guide to healthy love and relationships, and attachment style expert. I invited her today to share this fascinating theory and approach to human relationships. It brings so much more awareness, which makes you understand why you interact in a certain way and also helps you to improve yourself and bring harmony around you. If you want more healthy relationships in your life, this episode is for you. Listen after this gem. Hi, Tareen. Hi. I'm super excited to talk about conscious communication with you. Me too. I'm ready to go. (laughs) Good. I explain what conscious communication means to me in the intro, but I'd love to get your own perspective and how we ended up being part of actually an integral part of your line of work now. Well, consciousness is one of the three pillars of my business. So my business is based on helping women expand our confidence, consciousness, and intuition, because I think those are the three most important things to be able to bring our whole selves, our whole fully integrated selves into a relationship. And I think that for people to really have a satisfying relationship, we need to be able to have our whole selves in the relationship. And so the consciousness piece really... I've literally looked up the definition of conscious and it means to be awake and responsive to one's environment. And so, you know, when we think of consciousness, we think of, if you think about it, 
that's us being aware, right? Our subconscious is the stuff that we're not really aware of, right? And when we're conscious, we're aware of it. And I find that in so many relationships, we operate on autopilot, kind of like our default setting that our environment had dictated when we were younger, ways or models that we think we're supposed to act based on how our family did, how the culture around us does, what the media says, you know, and so that's not really conscious. That's not in being involved in your relationships in a conscious way. So in my mind, to have a conscious relationship and to have conscious communication means to be aware of and responsive to our own needs and the needs of our partner. Yeah. So that we can then, you're aware of the need so that you can respond to it. But the problem is a lot of the time we're not aware of what even our true needs are, let alone what our partner's true needs are. And our partner might not know what their own needs are. So you're not communicating in a conscious way, right? You're kind of hitting up against the same problem because you're not getting to the root of what people really need. It's kind of uh, that subconscious way of living. You're saying what's not really being said, you know, or you're, you're not saying what really needs to be said. You're just kind of putting your character characterizations of what you think you should be, yeah. you know, in the relationship versus who you really are and what you really need. And when you say relationship, do you, because you mentioned partner several times, everything that you said, is it valid for other kind of relationships like friends, coworkers, uh, family? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. That is what I think is so awesome about attachment theory is it actually applies to all of our relationships because, you know, much of my work is based in attachment theory. So when I talk about conscious communication, It's not exclusive to attachment theory, but a big bulk of what I do within conscious communication is attachment theory. And everyone has an attachment style and they're always interacting with each other, whether it's your coworker or friend or family member. I say partner because a lot of the work I do at my business is working with people who are working on their romantic relationships and romantic relationships are highly vulnerable. And so a lot of our deeper issues come up in them. But yes, absolutely. You can have consciousness. Ideally, we would like to have consciousness in all of our relationships. Yeah, even with our parents. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's not always easy with certain relationships, but it's the ideal we can shoot for it. That's true. And I like that you started with um, actually defining consciousness, because to me, it's the same. It's about compassion, gratitude and presence. You have to be aware of your own self, but also be sensitive enough to others and how your words, your reaction, everything can be impactful and like impact them at the same time. Yeah. Yes. So emotional awareness versus emotional distress, I would say. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and like you said, and like you said, presence is a huge piece in this being present. And how did you get into that line of work, like talking about conscious communication? And as you mentioned briefly, the attachment style theory, which we'll get into much more deeper in a few minutes. But uh, yeah, if you could touch a little bit about that first. For sure. Well, I got into this work because I was very unconscious. 
for a very large portion of my life, specifically around romantic relationships. I think I was pretty aware in my friendships. I've always had good, strong friendships, um, but definitely in my romantic relationships, I was being dysregulated a lot of the time when I was dating. My emotions were all over the place. I didn't trust myself. I was attracting people who didn't want to commit to me. I was really struggling with my confidence. And I was just, I felt like I was on a perpetual cycle of attracting the same, the same, I don't want to say negative relationship, but the same kind of pattern. pattern. Yeah. Yeah. Which was in my case, avoidant people who were emotionally unavailable. And um, that doesn't help. <laughs> no, it was not helpful. And I just couldn't understand why I wasn't growing from it, why I wasn't learning from it. And I felt crazy or I, you know, I ended up pushing away relationships altogether for a while. And then, you know, I listened to a lot of podcasts and <laughs> we all and, doing that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's like my lifeblood. No. Um, and on a lot of podcasts I was listening to, I heard the phrase attachment and I knew there were different styles. People had briefly touched on the styles here and there, but I couldn't like get a grasp on what it really meant. But like, I, I knew my interest was piqued. And then I was in therapy talking about dating and my therapist just very nonchalantly said something like, oh, well, that's your attachment style. And I was like, hold up. What did you just say? I've heard that before. What does that mean? And she had the book attached on her table and she was like, you should read this. And that's how I really realized that I had all these, first of all, patterns that a million other people have that I thought were all unique to me and, <laughs> and that I thought were the reason, you know, the narrative I had in my head of myself that something was wrong with me mm. when really actually a million other people are dealing with the same patterning which was very liberating for me. Like, okay, I don't have to be mad at myself anymore about this. We're so (laughs) self-centered when it comes to emotions, especially Mm -hmm. when we're unconscious about the things that we're going to talk about today. So it's very funny that you actually mentioned that. And usually therapists are the ones who sometimes know us better than our own selves. So Mm -hmm. it's funny that it was like this person who actually introduced you to you. Yeah, yeah. And just realizing that we're human and what that really means is that we're all really built the same way in a lot of ways. And we live in a very individualistic society and culture that really praises individualism. So we want to feel that all of our experiences are unique and personal and we're special and we are all special and we are all unique because we've had a unique blend of experiences paired with our unique personality, our unique spirit. But at the end of the day, we're going to have similarities being the same species. But when you're not taught about this stuff, you don't realize the extent to which that shows up in your everyday life, you know, and that our biggest feelings a lot of the time in relationships are because of these very human patterns. And that's all to say I was pretty much unconscious to my needs in those relationships. I had no idea how to, 
I didn't even know that I didn't know what I needed. Do you know what I mean? I had, <laughs> I, <knew laughs> I was exactly that unconscious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was that unconscious about it. People would say things to me about my worth or what I deserve. And it would like go in one ear and out the other because I couldn't even process what it meant, you mm. know? And lo and behold, I learned my core wound and attachment is feeling unworthy. But I didn't even know what that meant. Like I couldn't tangibly figure out what those words meant in, you know, in, and it was only an understanding attachment that I was able to place like actual feelings on that. And that feeling of in a relationship, every time I wanted to say my truth or how I felt, it was so hard for me because of this fear that they would reject me or judge me or I would push them away. And that is the wound there is that I felt unworthy so I wasn't able to communicate my truth, but I didn't even know that I felt that way. And so speaking up, you know, was a really big issue for me in relationships. And that's also what made me feel crazy and doubt myself. Because if you ask any one of my friends, I've never been shy of speaking up. If anything in life, I've gotten in trouble for saying too much. You know, I'm usually the big mouth. I'm usually the one who, you know, goes where I shouldn't go, you know, um, <laughs> like in school, I was on the drill team, I remember, and we got a new captain and she did not know what she was doing. And I, I couldn't stay quiet because she was going to embarrass us in front of the whole school. And so <laughs> I would give my opinion and stuff. And she had, so she wasn't the captain. She was actually the teacher, the coach. And she had the captains take me aside and tell me I needed to be quieter and oh, not wow. give my opinion as much because I wasn't in charge of the drill team. But so, it's funny how the same person, it was still you, Tareen, but like right. in different kind of relationships, your insecurities or your attachments, I was showing a different way. Exactly. Because that wasn't a vulnerable situation for me. I was comfortable in that environment yeah, in true. school. Mm. I am a natural leader in in group environments like that. So it wasn't hard for me. So that's why it was so confusing in intimate relationships, why I couldn't say what I needed. And I didn't even know to put that language to it, my needs, what I needed, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But it really bothered me that I couldn't say how I felt. And so what I would end up doing is I would hold it in for a long time with people. And then I would get to this point where I resented them because I wasn't telling them how I really felt. And I would explode and I would say it all at one time because I was like, I can't keep this in. I, you know, they need to know how I feel. And, and I would say it all at once and I would scare them away because A, <laughs> <Obviously>, yeah. <laughs> it's really aggressive yeah. and a lot to take in even for a secure person. And B, most of the people I was dating weren't secure to begin with. So that really was like more than they could take. And then they'd ghost me or whatever. It would just be a series of not good stuff Aww. happening. <laughs> But at least you learn from it yes. or even like from them, if they were different experiences. Now is your work and you're helping so many people to not go through all of this. Exactly. I'm not going to say negative experiences, but uh, this uncomfortable and probably unnecessary experiences if we already know um, about conscious communication. But before we get deeper into attachment side theory, I wanted to ask you something. We all have certain events or behaviors of others that make us pretty emotionally upset. So I was wondering, can triggers hinder conscious communication? That's a great question. Thank you. They can if you're not aware of how to deal with them. You know, mm -hmm. um, that is a big part of what keeps us from communicating consciously is that when we're triggered, we're reactive. 
and we're operating from our fight or flight brain. We're not operating from our logical brain. So we're not making intentional choices when we're reactive. And it can be really, 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 really hard when you're triggered or dysregulated to communicate in that state. But in my course, my conscious communication mini course, I do talk about what to do when you're in that state, how to step back and actually find your center so that you can communicate consciously. So it's all about awareness once again. All comes back to awareness. Yes. Knowing what triggers you, you know, um, is a big deal and knowing why you're triggered. And I know we keep saying we'll get to attachment. I bring it up and everything, but that is the beauty of it, of being able to understand why you might be triggered right now makes such a difference in being able to calm yourself down from it. Hmm. Actually, let's go into it. Let's talk about attachment theory (laughs) (laughs) and how it correlates with uh, conscious communication. Yeah. So attachment theory, just in terms of broad strokes, is the study of how humans connect in intimate relationships, specifically between a parent and child or romantic partners. So like we said earlier, it applies to all relationships, but those are the relationships it's usually studied in. It was originally studied within parent and child dynamics because our attachment styles more often than not come from our initial parent-child dynamic. And that doesn't have to be necessarily your parents like a mother and father figure. It could be whoever your primary caregiver was at the time. Um, Usually our attachment style forms around two years old on average and usually lasts most of our lives. Some people can shift theirs for multiple reasons. Sometimes our attachment styles shift depending on significant relationships we've had, but overall that's where they come from. And so it's really studying how our relationships kind of what, how we form bonds with other people. Hmm. And so there's different ways in which people form bonds with people, you know, different, those are the styles you know, um, how we relate to people. Can you um, talk a little bit about the four different styles and also how does it impact being conscious when we communicate? Because you're talking about different styles, so it means that probably we all have different ways of being conscious when we communicate? Or is it, oh, should we take like conscious communication as this broad and like general matter? Basically, we each have a style and our way of communicating. And to me, when we're conscious, that means we know our style and we know how it shows up in us so that we can be clear on what our needs are. Because attachment is all about our core wounds. Mm -hmm. Basically, our core wound is something that if you have an insecure attachment style, you have a core wound. So in terms of the four styles, you have secure, which is the basically the foundational style, if you will because all the other styles are insecure. So in comparison to secure, they are insecure. So for secure people, they're generally comfortable with intimacy and vulnerability. They're able to equally give and receive love without overcompensating or overgiving themselves. And they're also able to self-soothe themselves without looking for that validation outside of themselves. Then anxious people are preoccupied with relationships, and need that outside validation because they had a caregiver who wasn't always available. They maybe had one who was secure, but they had another one who was 
sometimes available and sometimes not. And so they were always anticipating that that caregiver wouldn't be there. And so they overcompensate and are kind of like people pleasers to try to keep that person around. And so their core wound is that wound I was talking about, about feeling unworthy, because if that person is not available, they take it personally. So it it develops this feeling of I'm not worthy of this attention or this time right now. I'm not worthy of this love. It's like a very subconscious Hmm. feeling in us. We're not always like walking around saying I'm not worthy. You know, we we (laughs) believe we are. It's a very deeply rooted feeling. And then avoidant people are the opposite in that being close overwhelms them. So both secure people and anxious people long for closeness consciously. But anxious people just don't feel safe. They want the closeness, but they don't feel safe when they're actually close. Whereas avoidant people, because they're human and all humans actually do want closeness, Mm. but they tell themselves maybe that they're better off being alone because they didn't have a space where they learned vulnerability was safe. So they maybe had an absent parent or an abusive parent, whatever the case was, there's lots of different situations that can breed this. You can even have two parents there, but if they're not emotionally available and you don't feel safe expressing your needs and feelings, um, and feelings, then they go into themselves. They learn that I'm the only safe space I can trust. And so they really value their independence and they might sometimes even avoid their own feelings. They oftentimes can be like kind of numb to emotion. They might build relationships more around common activities and things like that versus anxious people. I can tell you as an anxious person, we talk about our feelings a lot in our relationship. <laughs> Avoidant people don't talk about their feelings a lot. So, um, So they relate differently, you know? Mm. Um, And then the fourth and less common style, it's about three to 5% of the population, but it is a combination of anxious and avoidant. It's sometimes known as fearful avoidant or disorganized attachment. And so these people are distinct unto themselves because they long for closeness like an anxious person does and have that core wound of feeling unworthy and kind of waiting to be betrayed. But they had a lot of inconsistency in their parenting. Maybe both parents were inconsistent. And so they are always going back and forth between wanting to be vulnerable and not wanting to. And so when they're triggered, whereas an anxious person would kind of overcompensate and try to get closer to the person when they're triggered, when a fearful avoidant or disorganized person is triggered, they might be an avoidant person and go avoid. So they're kind of always back and forth and oscillating between the two ends of the spectrum. And so they have much more roller coaster type relationships. And their fear, their kind of core wound issue, it's a bit of unworthiness, but that unworthiness is kind of taken to another level because they're also always afraid of being betrayed. And they have a lot of trust issues. Like anxious people have trust issues, avoidant people have trust issues. But when they're combined, they have extra trust <laughs> issues. And what did you mean about uh, both parents being inconsistent? Because some people can misinterpret this thing. Good question. So when I say consistent or inconsistent, it can mean physically and or emotionally. So if you don't have a parent who's physically present consistently, then there's no way they can be emotionally present consistently. I mean, granted, maybe through emails or phone calls, maybe you have a relationship with them in that way, but that's still physical 
that's still physical presence on some level. Mm -hmm. When I say not physically available, I mean, you don't have a relationship with them. You don't see them. You don't communicate with them. Yeah. They're absent. So that's one form of availability. The other form of availability is emotional availability. So you might have a relationship with someone who you see and you talk to and you interact with, but when you express something that you need or a feeling of yours, they are not receptive. They're not open to listening. They're not present with you. They might push you away, you know? So when I'm talking about being available, that's what I mean is that there's going back to consciousness being aware and responsive to each other's needs. So if someone's not emotionally available, they're not being responsive. Hmm. And that's, uh, that's super interesting because in the society we live in today where there are so many more divorces and things like that, and you were saying that the attachment style actually gets created or mm -hmm. I don't know how you want to call that form, or like yeah. form or gets built uh, yeah. around the age of two when you such a young child after a divorce like the parent lives somewhere else so physically they're not here and let's say like the mother or the dad um, depending on where the child lives works a lot too so it kind of easily create this fearful avoidant uh, kind of type so I'm surprised that is only two or three percent of the population even it is surprising um, that it's so small but you know it's possible that the connection you have with that one parent who you live with is secure. You know, the fearful avoidance comes when you have two emotionally unavailable parents. Yeah. So, um, so it just, I think it depends on the dynamic of the relationship, you know um, it is interesting though. And I know anxious people can feel avoidant tendencies. A lot of people think they're fearful avoidant immediately because they're like, Oh, I get anxious and I get avoidant. Yeah. Um, When anxious people get avoidant, it's a little bit of something else. It's, but yeah, it, it, it gets a little complicated sometimes. But, um, but yeah, it, it's definitely something that when you have a divorced parent, it probably affects you on some level, unless both those parents are really secure and make a really big effort to be a secure presence in your life. Yeah, you know. True. And how so. do we know which style do we have? Well, I do have a quiz you can take. Uh, I was hoping and... you would say that. <laughs> Because this quiz is like perfectly made. So go ahead. <laughs> oh, thank you. I spent a lot of time and I have had many versions of this quiz on test subjects to make sure that it seems accurate as, as accurate as possible. Obviously, any quiz depends on the person taking it, you know, how honest yeah. you are. And, um, you know, it's really looking for your general patterning. But that's a good place to start in mm -hmm. learning your attachment style. I have emails that come after the quiz once you sign up for it that give you more information about your attachment style, but that's the best way. And to answer your question, going back to your original question of this <laughs> section of what does this have to do with consciousness? Uh, it's that needs piece um, and that responsiveness piece, being aware of our needs and being able to be responsive to our partner's needs. And when I say partner, I really mean whoever is in that relationship with mm -hmm. you. It could be your parent, it could be your friend, whoever the other person is in that relationship. Yeah. Because anyone who we have a relationship with, we have an attachment to on That's some true. level. That's Even true. if it's a, you know, a random person who's emailing you, you know, you might not have a direct attachment to them yet, but 
the way you interact with them kind of is related to your attachment style. For instance, when people don't get back to me as an anxious person, that kind of can trigger me, even if I don't know them. You know okay. what I mean? Interesting. So it, it like really permeates so much of our interactions on a daily basis. And so the consciousness piece is, okay, this is my style, you know, like using the example I just gave, I can understand why people don't getting back to me upsets me or like triggers me, you know, I'm aware of it. I didn't used to be aware of it. And I used to take it really personally. My self-worth felt bad when people wouldn't respond to me and I would start assuming the worst. Hmm. But now that I'm aware of my style, I'm aware of how it shows up in my life. I can see that when someone hasn't gotten back to me and I feel triggered by it, I know where it's coming from. I'm conscious of it. And so I can respond in a way either to myself or them that is more effective. Meaning if I really need their attention and they haven't gotten back to me, I don't have to take it personally. And I can just follow up and say, Hey, just checking in, you know, circling back on this. Mm -hmm. And I've learned that a lot of times people just get busy and forget and it has nothing to do with me. But back when I was unconscious and I wasn't aware of that need of mine to be acknowledged and responded to in that way, I would just take it personally and I wouldn't speak up about it. I would not have sent that follow-up email because I would just be making up the story in my head about why they're not responding to me. And I would feel too bad about myself to say something. And feel resentful toward this person. Exactly. I would make up this whole story and resent them that they're clearly not interested. You know, they don't like me. And none of that was true in a lot of situations, Mm -hmm. you know, so all assumptions. Exactly. So would you say that we should know our attachment style profile uh, or style first? And then knowing, as you said, like our needs, uh, what triggers us in Mm -hmm. order to be able to communicate consciously? I think that that is the first step. Yes. Okay. Is being aware of your style because, you know, you can know how you feel about certain things. Some people are very emotionally intelligent and know their feelings. But knowing Not your attachment style, <laughs> <laughs> Not a lot maybe I'm just, I'm just used to the circles I <laughs> hang out in these days, like all yeah, these like really so. self-aware people, <laughs> but it's true. So a lot of people don't have words to put to their feelings a lot of the time, which is its own level of being unconscious, you know? Um, but what makes working with attachment extra conscious is that it's not just your feeling layer. It's going back to that core wound layer. Mm. You know, it's like really getting to the heart of what the issue is in the relationship, what the issue is within you, what the need is within you. Mm. And, um, you know, there's this great book called hold me tightly by this woman named, or is it hold me tightly? It might be hold me, hold me tight by Sue Johnson, this great book by, Sue Johnson, who is a relationship therapist. And she started her workout just as a regular run-of-the-mill couples therapist. Mm -hmm. And the more she learned about attachment theory, she actually created her own system for counseling around attachment theory. And she says that every issue in every relationship comes down to your core wound. That no matter what you're discussing that is at the root of it. And so if you know what your core wound is and you know your attachment, you can better understand what it is that you really need in that moment and what the other person can help you give when you know how to consciously communicate with them. That's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. So 
We've heard it first here. Yeah. <laughs> so know your attention so style first. Take that quiz. Yeah. <laughs> you mentioned something about uh, effective communication. And mm -hmm. that was like one of my following questions. Effective communication versus conscious communication. Is it the yeah. same thing? Does it like works one with the other? Like what's the deal? So effective communication is a term that they actually use within attachment theory. And okay. in that book, Attached. Basically, effective communication is communication that works, right? Because we can communicate with someone all day long, telling them our feelings and trying to make sense of a situation with them. But if what we're saying isn't resonating with them, then it's not actually effective because the whole point of communicating is to be understood, right? And for yeah. that person to understand you and vice versa. Hmm. And so, I mean, I know that I've had plenty of times where I want to like pull my hair out because I feel like I'm expressing myself in every which way, in every language and that I can think to express it to this person. And they are still not hearing you, you know? Yeah. Um, I feel like we can all relate to that. Definitely. So that's not effective communication because you're not meeting in the middle. You're not understanding each other, right? The message is not going across. It's not getting yeah. through. And I was mentioning so, quickly in the, in the intro that um, we talk a lot, but most of the time we don't think about the why. Like, why are we, what is the purpose of us like talking right now? What is our goal? What are we trying to achieve? Because at mm -hmm. the end of the day, we all want to be seen, heard and understood. But as you mm -hmm. said, like sometimes you can talk and talk, but it goes into one ear and out of the other if the person doesn't resonate with what you're saying. Exactly. And also, I feel like a lot of people talk without a filter. And I also think a lot of people don't realize the power that their words and actions have on other people. They don't give themselves enough credit that what they say matters, I find a lot, especially when people are maybe pretty unconscious and not interested in kind of emotional speak, if you will. And so that's a big part of it too. You know, it's not effective if you're just saying everything. Because, like you said, it, it's more effective when there's intention. Yeah. Like I might have an intuitive hit and know I'm thinking something, but it might not be the right thing to say right now or in this context. Or maybe I don't have the right words. And by the right words, I mean words that are going to resonate with that person yet. Effective communication is communication that is effective, that actually gets through where both parties can benefit from it, hmm. you know, and understand it. Conscious communication is, in my mind, the way that I use it and talk about it, is the umbrella term. And effective communication is under that umbrella. Mindfulness, to me, is also part of conscious communication. Kind of spirituality and this kind of holistic approach that we take to understanding ourselves is all part of conscious communication because... Well, going back to the three pillars of my company, you know, feeling confident helps communicating, obviously being conscious and aware of that's the piece we're talking about right now of things like attachment theory or being aware of yourself and your needs of different modalities that are going to help you be conscious. And then um, intuition, you know, I do a lot of work around helping people trust their intuition because that's a huge part of communicating, right? Is And that knowing what we need piece, you know, yes, knowing what we need is we can know it kind of um, cognitively when we learn about our attachment style, we can understand how it all works. But the intuition piece is when you're experiencing it, you know, 
really feeling like, where is this coming from right now? You know, or feeling like I'm having an emotion right now. Like, what is this emotion trying to tell me? You know? Um, and so all of that works together in my mind to make conscious communication. It's our, again, our whole integrated selves in the conversation. And, um, and so effective communication is one piece of the conscious communication. That was perfectly explained. Thank you. <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> I've um, thought about it before. So, you know. Yeah, I, I bet you did. <laughs> <laughs> Something that actually fascinates me because we're talking about, we talk a lot, a lot of words, a lot of speaking, but there's also communication with silence. All of the things that we do that I would say the silent communication we actually express without even realizing that we are expressing our feelings, our fears, our triggers, our yeah, everything. And you call it protest behaviors. Can you expand on that? Yeah. So protest behavior is kind of what I was talking about when I mentioned that anxious people can be avoidant um, because protest behavior is when we sense a threat to an attachment we have and we basically are triggered our attachment system. That's what it's called. All the hormones in our body that get triggered when, or we have a flare up when we are afraid that an attachment figure is going to either be separating from us or there's a threat to the relationship somehow. And so that's when we do everything that we can to kind of bridge that gap and to avoid that separation or threat mm. in the relationship. I understood probably not rightly that protest behavior is more attracting attention as much as possible, even though it's unhealthy to bridge that gap. Uh, so that's another person. form of it. Yes. Oh, okay. That's another form of it. The term itself seems odd, um, <laughs> but that's, <laughs> and I, I feel like it can be confusing, but you're, what you're protesting is the separation in the relationship, right? So okay. at all costs, you're trying to reconnect. So for example, in the dating world, let's say when someone's not responding to you and you start feeling that anxiety that you need to like reach out to them again because why aren't they responding? That's one form of protest behavior. Another form of protest behavior is um, what you're talking about, the silence piece or the avoidant piece, which is where they haven't responded to me. I'm not going to respond back to them. Like, you know, when I was dating, if I had some like game playing kind of, you know, like when I was dating, if, I was dating someone who I texted and then maybe they took four hours to get back to me. Well, I'd be like, oh, well, I can't respond to them right away. I'm going to wait four more hours because they didn't respond to me. But in doing that, it's protest behavior because I actually want them to notice that I'm not responding. Do you know what I mean? Mm, like, yeah. like I, I want, I'm doing it in the hope that they'll still like me because I don't want to come off as desperate or needy, needy yeah. that, that I'm responding to them right away and they didn't respond to me right away. So it's actually a form of trying to get their attention by avoiding them. And because that then, is like very interesting yeah. because at the end of the day, it's still communication, but it's completely silent. Yes. Exactly. So it's just like body language or things like that. That all plays into it for sure. Probably not the healthiest, but um. yeah, it's down. not that that's a form of unconscious communication. Yeah. So that's what we're trying to, you know, 180. And so it can be more conscious and you can be aware when you're doing it. 
you know, um, I feel like it's more beneficial in my course because I really get into the nitty gritty of it. And once again, being conscious all the time, I don't think it's doable, but um, at least like, you know, having like this kind of snippets of information help us to improve ourselves and go towards this consciousness little by little. Yeah, I'm actually really glad you said that because a lot of people ask me about like, how can I be secure with this hope in mind? I think that I'll learn to become secure and I'll always respond in a secure way. Yeah. (laughs) And um, I actually asked you that. I I think I asked you, like, is it possible to shift from one style to the other? Right. Aiming for the secure one, of course. (laughs) Right. Everyone's always aiming for secure and which makes sense. And a lot of the work I do is to help people learn to communicate more securely. But the truth is, like I said in the beginning, 70% of people, there've been studies over a four-year period and 70% of people in the study have the same attachment style at the end of it after those four years. I don't know exactly what they did in the study to try and ship them or if it was just observing them in normal life. You know, um, I'd have to look into that more. I know that there are therapies that help people become more secure. I don't actually know the results of that, like how effective those are. But I know they've. I know some people who they say it's helped them. But it's really understanding attachment isn't so that you can be perfect all the time. So yeah, that's why I really no. yeah. appreciated what you said. And being conscious doesn't mean you're perfect all the time. What it means is that when you have a natural reaction or a natural trigger, which is absolutely going to happen in life because we're human, it's not preventing that from happening, but it's being aware that when it happens, you know where it's coming from so you mm-hmm. can respond effectively. Again, going back to the definition of awareness and being able to respond to it right? So that's really what it's about. It's not about being perfect. It's just a tool for managing it better. And when you're able to be aware of it and then respond effectively, that is how you start moving into more secure attachment because you get in the habit of more secure ways of communicating. Yeah, I think it's more about improving yourself than trying to be perfect because perfection is an illusion once again. Absolutely. I'll once again emphasize on the importance of the words we choose to talk to ourselves and to others. It influences your conscious actions, but also your subconscious patterns. That would be interesting to know your own perspective on how language shifts actually improve relationships, all kinds Mm. of relationships. Yeah. Um, The biggest one is, I think, in our language sometimes especially when we're triggered or dysregulated, there's a tendency to blame and to focus the energy on the other person and what they've done, you know? Yeah. Um, And, and sometimes we come off as judgmental and make them more defensive, you know, um, when it's the you focus, you know, you did this or, that's really not cool. That was rude. You know, I feel like that was really rude. But and so using those terms that are going to be kind of activating for people are going to make them less willing to hear what you have to say. Then if you turn that language around and say, I feel like you're not hearing me right now. And or I don't feel heard right now. You know, and just that shift in that language there makes it less accusatory. And makes people, I think, more willing to hear you. I'll give you a really good example of this. Early on in mine and my husband's relationship, we were supposed to go somewhere and I was really looking forward to it. And it was a a kind of situation where 
we were going to like basically um, a meeting to see if we could get a free cruise because <laughs> we had stumbled upon this booth at a fair and and it was the only time we could go to this meeting. Okay. And he teaches martial arts and something came up at his dojo and he's like, I think they need me there at this time. And I got really pissed and was like, <laughs> um, I feel like this is a fuck you to me. You know, oh, wow. I was like, this is important to us and you're choosing that over this, you know? Mm. And had I said that to someone in my family who's as equally a reactive person as I am, it probably would have mounted gone and gone somewhere horrible. Yeah. But my husband, what really makes him a great match for me, me being anxious, him being secure, is that he doesn't get um, really reactive like I do. In fact, when I get reactive, his immediate response is to go calm, you know, is to just be quiet. Mm -hmm. And and so his response to that was like, that really hurt me that you would think that. And it stopped me in my tracks because never in my life had I been attacking someone and mad at them <laughs> and them say it really hurt me, you know? Yeah. Um, so instead of him getting angry by saying the word that the words that hurt me, mm -hmm. I it suddenly like relaxed me and like made me less defensive. And I ended up being like nurturing about it and like apologize. You know, I'm not trying to hurt you. Yeah. It's but, just me and, feeling this way. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why we, I think one of the reasons we have such a strong relationship is because we can communicate well together in those really highly intense moments. A lot of the times because of him, but also because of me. <laughs> <laughs> you should take the credit um, <laughs> where it's due. <laughs> yeah. I need to give him the credit. Um, but like just that, that's such, I think a beautiful example of that because I was no longer on the defensive. And had I said that to someone else, I very well could have stayed on the defensive and it could have escalated, you know, yeah. but I really, he basically was really expressing his need. Like he felt hurt and I needed to acknowledge in that moment that he felt hurt by what I said. And so then he was then able, because I deescalated, he was then able to acknowledge my issue and we were able to work it out. Yeah. You know? Language is super important. And I like that um, even though it's also related to his own style, but um, actually stopping for a minute and saying in the most respectful way what your reaction made him feel like. Because he could have said, like, even in a calm way, not reaction-wise, saying something a little bit uh, mean or impolite or rude, you know? Right, right, right. But I feel like he chose the right word to actually help you de-escalate. Yeah, exactly. He still could have said something like, well, that's not true. Exactly. And maybe, or, maybe he wasn't yeah. reactive, but he was yeah. calm. Yeah. But but that would have invalidated my feelings if he said that's exactly. not true. Yeah. Right? So he didn't invalidate what I said. He just said how it affected him. And by using that word I or that phrase, I feel hurt, it appealed to my more nurturing side and my more reasonable side. It mm -hmm. kind of took me out of my anger when I realized how he felt, you know, because it was such an accurate word hmm. you know yeah we yeah. should be mindful about our wording <laughs> yeah Linda sometimes is a little bit hurried but uh yeah work in progress Absolutely. and that's funny because when you were answering I was smiling a little bit because that was my following question about taking responsibility for our feelings because we tend to blame the other and put ourselves into victim position for example after an argument trying to make amends we'll end up actually trying to defend ourselves like you made me feel x y and z 
seeing the other person as our opponent instead of thinking of them as if we're on the same team. Because like, for example, a husband, a friend, a parent, you love them, you like super cool with them. And then suddenly they did one thing and they're the worst person in the world. And shifting from me, this individual person versus them to we are in this together and how can we find a common ground for the actual betterment of the situation, not necessarily for you or for me, but like for the situation, like how can we make it work for both of us? Yeah. And, you know, love is contagious and people treat you how you let them treat you and people treat you how others treat them. Mm. So when rather than getting defensive, when someone expresses an issue, if you actually acknowledge their feelings and try to meet their need, it's really amazing what they'll do in return. Um, Yeah. So definitely paying attention to other people's needs. And, and it does feel counterintuitive when you're triggered because I think a lot of the times go into conversations. I know I've gone into big conversations sometimes when I knew I needed to talk to someone and I'd have all these talking points in my head ready for all the reasons I feel this way, you know, but I wouldn't go in ready to listen, you know? And so that's been a big shift for me in my communicating is I don't need to get all my points across right now, because like you said, like this person is supposed to be on my team. This is supposed to be my friend. We're supposed to love each other. Why am I treating this person like my enemy right now? You know, because truly more often than not in conflict, Mm -hmm. the issue is more about them and less about you. And we all take it so personally, like they don't like me, you know, they're accusing me, but really it's people trying to say, going back to what that therapist said, Sue Johnson, about our core wounds, my need is not being met right now and I need it acknowledged. And so if we can preemptively acknowledge someone's needs, that de-escalates situations really quickly a lot of the time. You know, if we're open and willing to put our ego aside and really open ourselves up to them and welcome them with love, I feel like most issues would be better resolved, you know, like I'd say 90% of most issues could be resolved if people approach things a little bit more like this. Yeah. And actively listening. Yeah. We've been talking about communication and the styles uh, and all, but um, I will mention, even though it's like very obvious, but communication is a two-way street, or I'd rather say connection in this context. Both people need to actively and consciously participate I have this story, like one friend of mine um, was telling me that the two sides of her family are not subscribing to the same political ideology and they hate each other just because of that. But at the end of the day, when she's like, because she's stuck in the middle, but she's listening to each. And at the end of the day, they want the exact same thing for the country, like for it to be safe, where they can raise their family and spend their retirement years with enough money to live a decent life what she told me was like this is funny because they're so opposite to one another and they don't even realize that they're more alike than anything else if they just communicated um just like with a curious mind and open heart or at least curious mind yeah so to know how to communicate consciously and effectively do you have tips for communicating with each styles and how each relate to one another or just broadly, how can we make the world a more peaceful place with more communication? I like to say communication is 
a function in a relationship. It serves a purpose, right? I think a lot of the times we associate communication with expressing our feelings and kind of all this really flowery yeah. stuff, mm-hmm. but there's actually a functional purpose to communicating. And I like to liken it to a bridge, right? A bridge is a functional purpose. They're beautiful, of course. A yeah, lot of them. I like that. But the function of a bridge is to get from one piece of land to another, mm-hmm. right? And if the other piece of land, let's say you cross the bridge and there's a gate up and it's closed, well, that bridge isn't really serving its purpose. It's not yeah. working. Like you said, it's a two-way street so that we can get across t- from one person to the other, you know? And I would say based on your story you just told about people who are politically divided, I would say in a lot of ways in life, I think we're way more similar than we are different, you know, 100%. Um, if we're able to really get to the root of things, you know, um, the issue in those political situations is people might agree on what they want the end result to be, but they disagree on how to get there. Yeah. And so maybe if they were able to communicate, they could figure out a compromise, you know, um, And yeah, I go into a lot of detail in the conscious communication mini course on every person's style and how to interact with each, like tips for interacting with each. So kind of my broad stroke suggestion would just be to get to know your style because that is always the first piece of it. It's much easier for us to understand our own style than to know someone else's. A, because when we take the quiz, we can be honest with ourselves. Um, There are quizzes within my mini course on um, being able to take a quiz on your partner style as well, or whoever, again, it doesn't have to be a romantic person, Mm. but, um, knowing your own style helps you start to understand how attachment style shows up in your life. So you can start observing how it functions. And that's really the biggest piece to begin with in terms of, you know, how to start communicating consciously and, if you can then tell people in your life to get aware, uh, you know, become aware of their style. Some people may be open to it. Some people may not. But as you take the course, you will learn kind of the hallmark characteristics of the different styles. So you might not know with as much accuracy as you know your own when you're trying to guess someone else's style, but there are certain kind of signs or guideposts that can help you know, like, I do think this person might be this way. And I talk about how both of the styles or rather each of the styles interact with each other because our style, like me being an anxious style, avoidant people make me extra anxious. But sometimes anxious people can make me feel a little avoidant. Oh, okay. You know, so that's when I talk about my style is still anxious, like my overarching style based on consistency, going back to that consistency piece and the availability Mm -hmm. piece consistently most of the time that's my general style. Mm -hmm. I've become more secure over the years. And so my response to things might be a little more secure now than it used to be. But when I'm dysregulated or triggered, I for sure am still anxious. I go back to my anxiety when I'm really triggered by something. But the way that the styles interact are different because it's a dynamic, right? You're connecting and you're relating differently because each of you relate differently to people based on your style. So how I would deal with an anxious person when I'm triggered is probably different than how I would deal with an anxious person when I'm feeling avoidant from them. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Right? Because the avoidant person, I would probably have to be more cautious with how I approach them because they can get overwhelmed with emotion. The anxious person probably needs more reassurance. So that's really what dictates how we would 
kind of interact with people differently based on our styles. It makes me think about, uh, you know, cultural sensitivities, like mm -hmm. depending on each culture, the way we're going to communicate with someone else, we have to be careful, like some things are not accepted in this culture. And mm -hmm. sometimes like it's considered okay in yours, but it's completely rude in the others. So you just have to adjust uh, the way you communicate with, uh, with the others. Totally. And that's a whole other piece of it is, this is kind of the biological psychosocial piece is attachments theory. But on top of that are the layers of gender and race and economic status and all these other life experiences yeah. that have formed us. And so it is a little bit to weed through sometimes, you yeah. know, but at least we get the basics, the baseline. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. To, yeah. And actually your course, I mean, we talked about it a little bit throughout the, this conversation, but it's fantastic to me as a mini course because unconscious communication using attachment side theory, even though you specialize in romantic relationships is not necessarily only focus on that. And it actually shows you your attachment style in different relationships you have in your life. And I took it myself and I was very surprised by its value since not because I'm doubting you or anything. It's just like, because it's a mini course. So I was just expecting getting the overall aspects of each styles or profiles, but it actually brings a lot of awareness, self-awareness, full disclosure. Sometimes I was like, <laughs> oh my God, like I'm doing that uh, really. And I was kind of hiding because you realize when you have like the thinking process or the thought process behind it, it makes everything so much clearer and it actually does help my case um, or anyone's case uh, taking this course because you realize that you can fix not that you need fixing but you can improve uh, what is deregulated or not in alignment with your best self mm -hmm. um, and knowing the motivation behind my own attachment style for example like the ambivalent or going in and out of wanting to connect where it's so spot on that uh, mm -hmm. you realize the core wound and then uh, the triggers and the needs. And you're like, mm -hmm. okay, I have some work to do. And you have beautiful <laughs> worksheets too. So yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah. I wanted it to be impactful and valuable for people because it's so important, you know? So um, I'm glad that it resonated with you and it helped you a little bit. Where can we find your course? My conscious communication mini course, you can get it on its own on my website, or when you do coaching with me, it's um, an added value. It's part of my coaching package as well. So just depends if people Beautiful want more bonus. personalized needs, yeah. they can, they can take my course and work with me, or if they don't want personalized one-on-one -on -one work just yet, but they want to learn this stuff, they can take it on its own. See people, you got choices. <laughs> <laughs> Always got to give options. Yeah, that's great. Beautiful choices. Honestly, I definitely recommend it. You helping like a lot of people, because as we said before, like everything is about communication, like any area of our lives. So when we know how to do that properly, we can truly not only improve our own lives, but also the lives of others. So thank you in participating into the improvement of the collective. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, you know, I've been there. I've been unconscious before. I know how painful it can be and wasting time with people who don't understand you is just so frustrating. Yeah. So I want to help people not feel that way. If only I had known this 10 years ago, you know, um, 
or 15 years ago or <laughs> for as long as I was dating unconsciously. But we're actually um, glad that you did not because now we get to know about <laughs> your experiences and get to benefit from your expertise. So, yes, yeah. exactly. Exactly. And it's really like my life's purpose. I feel like I, I really connect with people and I love connecting with people. And if I can help them in some way to better their lives and relationships, you know, I, I want to. Wonderful. Um, I have one question that I usually ask about branding. And for you, my question would be how your attachment style actually influences your branding because you have beautiful branding. So I would like to know. Uh, thank you. That is um, definitely a question I've never gotten before. It Yay. does. Um, attachment style influences my branding. Um, well, what I will say to that and my, this is as best a guess as I can give, you know, <laughs> Go um, ahead. trying to understand the psychology of colors, but, um, you know, anxious attachments tend to be very empathic and sensitive people, you know, because of the way we were raised with being, a, basically anxious people are formed, our attachment styles are formed to be hyper aware of other people's needs because of the fear of not having the other person around, we're always looking to please, to keep them interested and to mm. keep them close. And so because of that, we're very sensitive and in tune with how other people are feeling. So we're very expressive a lot of the time, like we're very um, in touch with our feelings. And so I would say in terms of my branding, I, you know, my main branding colors are They're like kind of muted earth tones just because I really like kind of natural looking earthy um, colors. colors and shades, like even just how I dress and decorate in life, you know, like I'm just yeah, more attracted you to you actually have uh, a top, which is like more nude color. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Right That's like every now and then, you know, when I went to Miami, I wore like some bright pink neon and you know stuff like that <laughs> and lime green, but on the regular, I'm pretty neutral and earthy toned. So I wanted something that felt natural in that way. Um, but coral is my main branding color. And I chose that because I actually looked up on Google, what is the color of self-love? Because as much as my work is focused a lot on other people and relationships, you know, we don't get to healthy relationships without self-love. So oh, I really wanted beautiful. that to be the focus. Mm -hmm. So the coral is that color. And then um, I, have, I have a brown goldy color that just kind of is that natural piece, um, getting in touch with who we are, who we are naturally, our intuition, and just kind of the grounding piece. And then green to me is one of my other colors. It represents growth, you know? Mm. So, and then white kind of is, I guess I associate it with like higher power, protection, consciousness, you know, the feminine. So, I guess that's kind of my where my brand came from. And I the suppose that being an anxious attachment is just like I'm very, yeah, in into going in depth with feelings. So Yeah, <laughs> I guess actually, I guess that that's funny that you say that getting in depth with feelings because green, you mentioned that, and usually it's referred to the heart chakra. So heart Absolutely. feelings and all. Yeah, totally. And last question. Um What other practices or activities that you do to live a more conscious life on a everyday basis? I try to check in with myself 
at least once a day, meaning sit with myself in silence, Mm -hmm. even if it's for five minutes, 20 minutes. Um, Some days I don't, some days I'm really busy and I know I have a million things to do, but I can feel it at the end of the day when I haven't had that moment with myself. Every day I take my yoga mat outside and I'll do some, I have some physical therapy I have to do. I do some yoga and then I usually end it with Vipassana meditation, which is an ancient Buddhist meditation practice. And they have Vipassana centers all over the world, I believe, definitely throughout the US and they're free um, 10 day meditation retreats where you're silent for those 10 days and you learn how to do Vipassana meditation, which basically is all about sitting with your feelings and not moving and sitting with the sensations in your body and not reacting to them. Because Buddha believed that everything in life that we experience is either craving or aversion. So we either are always in a state of wanting something or not wanting something or avoiding something, right? Mm. And so the idea of sitting with Vipassana and you check in with all the feelings in your body and you try not to label them, you just try to feel them without moving and just accepting them. And so that's kind of the mindset or the perspective of bringing Buddhist philosophy into your life. You can apply it to everything you do, to your emotions, you know, that idea of being responsive rather than being reactive, you know, working from a place of intention rather than just reacting to a feeling. Um, And so I did that retreat. I actually wrote a blog post about it back in the day, a short story. And um, I created a guided meditation, uh, that was in my link tree. If people want it, I can put it back, Um, but it's free. And it just is, you know, 15 minutes where I kind of guide you through what the process of Vipassana meditation looks like, because I just find that it's really given me a direct channel to myself and to my kind of safe space within myself, Mm -hmm. you know, my own relationship with myself. I really credit a lot of my ability to know myself now from doing this practice because so much comes up when you're sitting silently and it can be really hard at first, but it's like, that's when your intuition speaks in, yeah. in presence. You know? I was about to say, even like, if it's not religiously based, just sitting with yourself, mm-hmm. feeling your feelings, as you were saying, like letting your thoughts just go around in your head, having this sense of calm and grounding. Mm-hmm truly makes you listen to your intuition and also reconnect with yourself because we're so distracted all day long so having like this five minutes ten minutes mm-hmm. moment with you and everything that's going on inside is uh, it can be very valuable yes and to your point about religion they actually are very clear in the Vipassana meditation retreats that while this practice came from buddhism it is not religiously influenced. I mean, Buddhism actually at its root is really a philosophy. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, but I I do appreciate people who, you know, come from other religions might feel like it's a religious practice, but they're very clear that when you're actually meditating, you're not chanting, you're not really like saying anything that's religious. Yeah. I mean, you're not saying anything at all because you're just sitting there, but there's no mantra there's no anything that is religiously influenced. You're literally sitting with yourself and the sensations in your body. Um, so it's very neutral in that way. And Vipassana actually means in Sanskrit to see things as they are. So it's all about accepting our reality, accepting how things are, because that's really the only true path to growth is starting where you're at now, yeah. you know, and not judging it and accepting it 
and kind of embracing that, whatever mm-hmm. it is. So yeah, that's, that's the practice I choose. I know there's a lot of great meditation practices out there, you know, but it's a great one, though. I just wanted to underline that. So people who are following another religion can feel comfortable with it and understand it a little bit more. Because even in Islam, like you have a lot of meditation intention and things like that. But like mm-hmm. for people who don't feel affiliated to any or feel affiliated to one religion, like to be mm-hmm. open with your meditation and like go and download it on your link tree. Yes, I'll add it back to my link tree now that we've had this conversation. (laughs) (laughs) And where can we find you? I promise this is the last question. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I like your questions, so it's okay. Um, So my website is truerlove.com. So that's just like true love, but an R at the end, Mm truerlove.com. And Uh, If you wanted to book coaching with me or ask me about anything specifically, there's the booking link in there. You can send me a message or email me at hello at truerlove.com. Or you can find me on Instagram at underscore truerlove underscore. Don't forget the underscores. (laughs) And um, yeah, I'm like an open book. I love talking to people. I love answering questions. So feel free to reach out. And you're super responsive. You answer super quick, like even with the beautiful voice memos. So (laughs) (laughs) I do. I love the voice memo. It's a game changer. And I wanted to add too, that you can also find my attachment quiz on my website or in my link tree at Instagram if you do want to learn your attachment style. So you guys, you know what to do. Thank you. And also she has amazing free content. If you sign up to her newsletter, you will get like beautiful gems about conscious communication, attachment side theory, and everything related. And on her website, she has a beautiful blog, which touch upon super important subjects, especially when we are, I think everybody living in this world, um, also children, like should learn about communicating more effectively and more consciously, being more aware of the impact we have in our own environment and around us. Yes. Um, one word or sentence to finish it up. I have mine. Ooh. one word or sentence to finish it up just self-compassion I guess is my main thing like it all comes back to self-compassion when you want to grow and transform you know our brains like what's familiar and so creating change is hard (laughs) you know I know some people don't like using the word hard or difficult but like some things are hard and difficult yeah it requires Um, efforts for sure. Yeah. And it requires effort. And the only way I think to get through it is to kind of notice how you're judging yourself, you know, for your feelings and knowing that your feelings are valid, whatever they are. Feelings cannot be right or wrong. Hmm. They just are. And they're usually communicating something with you. It's part of being conscious is knowing what your feelings are trying to communicate with you. So honor those feelings and be kind to yourself. And I think that if you stay on that path um, of being curious with an open heart, like you so beautifully said, you know, you will create (laughs) the relationships you're looking for. I notice when people say smart things, you know, uh, that little nuggets (laughs) stick with me. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) You're welcome. Um, I love that you actually ended up on the word on self. Because my word will be on your communication with others, something that I've applied to my life 
a few years back, and it works wonderfully when you're having disagreements, is to say and believe in the bottom of your heart, I agree to disagree. That brought me so much peace. Mm. It's incredible. Mm -hmm. Like, because I think you mentioned that uh, a little bit before during our conversation. Sometimes we don't need to give all of our own points and defend ourselves. Like, Mm -hmm. yeah, just like, okay, we're not on the same page. That's fine. I still love you. And let's move on. Yeah, absolutely. And that is a big part of secure attachment is to not be so preoccupied with what someone else think. You know, I think sometimes when we disagree with someone, it's so hard to sit in the feeling that someone's mad at us or doesn't like something, especially if you have an anxious or fearful avoidant attachment Mm. style, it can feel really uncomfortable. So I love that. That's kind of a form of self-soothing in a way of like, you know, my needs are valid and you might not agree with them, but we can agree to disagree. Yeah. And I recognize that your needs are valid too. It's just not the same as mine. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love that. Thank you so much, Shereen, for sharing your knowledge, your expertise. That was so much fun. That was really great. I loved your questions. Oh, thank you. You're so welcome. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. <laughs> Have a wonderful day. And you talk too. To you soon. Talk to you soon. Thank you to have taken the time to listen to me and my guest talking about conscious living. Conscious Matters is a self-produced podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review and ordinate. Five stars, always preferred. Your support will help to keep on raising the collective consciousness together. Talk to you soon.